Welcome to Australian Design Radio to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. I'm Flynn Tracy and it's just me. In this episode, we talk a lot about getting things done, working with teams and managing time, which is all the things that Streamtime helps us do. If you haven't tried it yet, you can try it for free and there's discount code for ADR listeners at streamtime.net slash ADR2020. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. In this episode, we have Alex Skugarevskaya, Design Manager for Atlassian Design System, co-founder of Code Love Design Conference and designsystemmeetup.com. Alex has been at Atlassian for five years now and is about to start a whole new chapter, which we talk about in this episode. We spoke about what being a design manager actually means and how she got where she is now, including her many roles and job titles. We spoke about the good stuff, like creating scaling design systems and some of the hard stuff, like working with remote teams and how to combat some of the challenges that arise. We got in touch with Alex as we prepared to go to the No BS conference in Melbourne. She's in the speaking lineup and we're heading there to get a few episodes under our belt with some of the amazing speakers. If you're heading, please come and say hi to us. And if you don't have a ticket yet, we'll have a link in the show description notes with a discount code for ADR listeners. I had a great time speaking with Alex and I hope you really enjoy this episode. Cool. So I want to get started. We're sure. just going to start now. Is that cool? Yeah, sounds great. great. We just roll and then we get it stuck into it. Um, you've been at Atlassian for almost five years now. I know. But you didn't start in the role that you're in. No. You've had several roles to get with, to where you are and they sound so different. You came in as a designer. Yep. And, the, and then then here you are. So can you tell us a little bit about that journey? Absolutely. I, I'll just backstep. So... I was working in agencies before I came to Atlassian. I worked for a UX agency. I was very comfortable. The team was fantastic. The work was okay. Lots of big corporates. Um, the thing I loved about that role was the the autonomy and the ability to um, be very much client-facing. I love client-facing. Um, so not only did I get the opportunity to do client stuff, I also get to, to do the research. I got to interview their customers and really express you know, their point of view to these big corporates. And I thought that was a really interesting role to play in, in that company. And I was satisfied to a, to a point. And um, Atlassian knocked on the LinkedIn door, as with many of those cold emails that we all get. Was it Atlassian or was it a recruiter? It was an an Atlassian recruiter. So we don't have recruiters. We don't use them externally. So it was an Atlassian recruiter, um, James Bates. And it's just started with a, do you want to have a chat? That's how it always starts. It always starts with that. It's just a coffee. And the reason why I said yes was at the time, my uh, creative director and I were revamping how we do interviewing. And we heard that, you know, it was in the in a kind of a passing comment, we heard that Atlassian has a really interesting way of recruiting. And I was like, oh, this will be kind of interesting. Um, I was very open uh, with the recruiter at the time. And I didn't say that I'm interested in your interviewing, but I did say that I wasn't looking. Uh, but I'll have a chat, et cetera. As always, as these things mm-hmm. all happen. And I genuinely wasn't looking because at the time I was trying um, to have a second baby. And my husband and I are like, no, no, this is what we're doing and we're sticking to this job and et cetera, et cetera. Lo and behold, uh, fast forward maybe 
four weeks. It was very quick and um, one interview after another. And I interviewed them as much as they interviewed me. Uh, I was very, very dubious. And uh, I was just like, what is this? I hate Jura. I I was the Jura queen in my um, company at the time because I I knew how to wrangle it. And it was super complicated and uh, and it was a very love-hate relationship. But the thing that kind of really sealed the deal for me is the role. And the role, super ambiguous, but very interesting. It was called the senior designer on the ADG. And the ADG at the time was the Atlassian Design Guidelines. Mm. Um, So this was pre-design systems, pre-Nathan Curtis, pre-Gina, pre-all this hoo-ha, the wave that I've ridden in the last five years. But it was back then, it was the Atlassian Design Guidelines. And why I thought this is such a cool opportunity because I would have to go broad. I would have to be, it touches every product. It kind of had this um, language to speak between design and engineering. And um, again, one of my strengths coming from agencies was I knew how to get developers to do stuff. Like I could, right. I empathized with them. I felt like a real kinship and I was always, never threw anything over the wall, always brought them along on the journey. So for me, it was like this natural kind of evolution of the, of the thing I was already doing previously to create this language for designers and, and developers to be able to speak and have shared. I was super excited. I said yes. And I also found out uh, I was having twins um, and wow. I was pregnant. Um, so it was all happening at the same time. I, I ended up having uh, reporting to the, uh, back then he was the head of design. At the moment, he's now the chief experience officer, Jürgen Spengel. Um, so it was quite the whirlwind um, mm. of, kind of coming on board and really understanding what is Atlassian, what is the design language back then, where can I even start to add value? And I thought that was a real kind of uh, question I kind of had hanging over me every night. I'd come home to my husband and talk about it and just sort of go, I just, I I can't even, it's so huge. It felt so huge back then. It's so much bigger now, but back then it felt (laughs) huge. Um, So that was kind of my in to Atlassian. Mm. It was kind of, I thought, an interesting story, but um, definitely something that I I, I look back on very fondly. It was the right decision, the right leap to make. Um, No regrets. Mm. Um, And I sort of made my way through, after coming back from maternity leave, I I came back as and sort of was the big redesign of all of the Atlassian products right in the middle of it. So right in the thick of it, I came back and there was a team around me. There was about three layers of, ma- of people between me and Jürgen. Um, so, you know, we scaled so quickly in 10 months. It was quite phenomenal and sort of jumped head first into a huge company-wide brand refresh, uh, which was really the catalyst for um, the current look and feel for our products. Mm. And this was this was right after maternity leave uh-huh. and changing companies. Uh-huh. Wow. Mm-hmm. I know. Uh, it's a funny thing. Uh, somebody said this to me and I've really kind of, it really stuck with me where I just don't do things in halves. I, I don't, it's like everything kind even, of... Even children, you have, you have, I, you have yes, twins. Yes, it, it came, the comment came when I told this particular person um, that I was having twins and he's like, you don't do anything in halves. And I'm like, no. So, <laughs> and it's true. It's sort of become, I'm, I'm sort of owning it at the moment because um, it's just the way I am and I'm okay with it. Mm. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, where did you learn to speak dev? That's a great question. I learned to speak dev by having um, my very first job out of uni was, so I went to uh, Kofa in Sydney. Mm -hmm. I have quite a traditional background in design uh, where I started, uh, did the Bachelor of Design at Kofa, which is College of Fine Arts um, in Paddington, part of UNSW. 
And uh, part of that degree was needing to do an internship somewhere, which means free uh, work for six months. Mm. Um, at and a that company. was a mandatory part of the mandatory course. Mandatory part to, of the course. To tick could the not box. graduate. Yes. Wow. My very That's hotly debated uh, in the education scene that... Um, yes. Yeah. But back then, this was like a thing. And so I was extremely fortunate that the uh, my um, lecturer at the time put me forward for uh, uh, this position at the British Council. The British Council is like the cultural arm of the British consulate. So they kind of right. bring out the arts. And there's a British Council every single um, uh, capital city around the world. There's like 120 offices. Wow. Um, so it was like, it was an edge cliff. And um, in Sydney, and I was there, as basically the graphics monkey like I would just come in and cut up some images and do little things mm. and as well as myself there was also a developer who was on the team and him and I became very very close we, we're still friends we, we went to each other's weddings so right. a side side segue but so him and I kind of were pairing on a lot of things and I learned by um, asking a lot of questions and it's sort of a trait that I've held on with me and I still very much the asking all the questions person. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think by asking all the questions and and him also being incredibly generous with his time and not making me feel like there was a stupid question or um, why why would, you know, why do you want to know that? You know, he was very Mm -hmm. generous and in sharing and and we were collaborating and I was kind of evolving my language around um, coding and development as I um, kind of matured in that role and kind of took that on with me mm. into the future. How important do you think it is um, for all the designers listening to be able to speak devs? And obviously, I don't. When I'm saying this, just to be super clear, I just mean being able to communicate and mm-hmm. work with, I guess, other specialists, whether mm-hmm. they're developers or you know somebody else or content. Yeah, uh, or content research. copywriters, research yes. strategists. All my favorite people. Um, <laughs> it's so interesting. I love design, but all my favorite people people are non-designers because that cross-disciplinary ability and empathy that you build between um, each of the different disciplines is the way you get to a great outcome. You get to a great mm. product. You get to a great solution. You will never be the only as, as a designer, you need to collaborate. And I think if no superpower um, is more uh, intrinsic in today's, um, and I think as has been also for a long time, to make sure that you're able to find those ins, find the ins between yourselves and mm. others around you. And I think that's kind of when the magic happens. It's when you bring your developers into your research sessions. And then when you have your, you know, content strategy being kind of advised by the designers and it's all collaborative and together and it's messy and hard and it's it's mm. not clean and it's not in boxes and it, it involves lots of post-its and, and, and rooms and coffees and all these other things. But I think that's when you kind of get to that oh, wow, we did a thing and there's no I in that situation. Right. And I think that's something that I've really um, taken with me throughout my, you know, last 15 years. Yeah, it's. Um, I think you preempted my follow-up question to that, which, which is um, do you find much friction with that sort of thing? Mm. Do you find that within, within teams that you've worked with mm-hmm. that some people are obviously more open than others, but have you, have you found people staunchly against that sort of mm-hmm. thing and, and how have you tackled that? It's so interesting. Uh, absolutely, yes. The, the, as an individual contributor, uh, we say that we call that an IC or, or, or a manager. I've seen it in every single form. Uh, so as somebody who is super junior, I would always, as I said earlier, like really love to ask all the questions. And especially when there was designers that were more senior or more seasoned and they were very much of the, oh, I'm the designer and I, I, this is my way of doing things. And, and so they held on to information mm-hmm. and and 
that never really worked for me. And I was always so open about what I didn't know. And I think that's st- still today. I'm, that's like the first thing. I, I've got a new team that I've just started. I'm three weeks in and I'm all, all about the things that I don't know and rather than the things that like, here's all the things I figured out. I, mm. I, I, I think kind of coming with that vulnerability and coming with the open mind and uh, fresh eyes is something that has uh, been super helpful to me. And have you, have you found um, it's possible to retrain pe- people out of that kind of mindset? Like, is it? Some, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to picture the the type of designer or creative a person that that sort of comes in and, and finds finds that friction is also not working for them. Like, mm-hmm. how how can you convert someone to that way of thinking, or how can you know how how do you do that? Where do you begin? I begin with understanding what motivates them. I, I okay. try to understand and really get why they feel that this way is a better way to operate mm. or, or is it something that they've been taught? Is it something that they've been rewarded for? And this is me with my manager hat on. Um, is it something that they've been rewarded in a previous company or is that what good looked like to them? Right. Was it a mentor or, or another or another manager that kind of demonstrated that this was the behavior that was going to get them where they needed to go? Or, or maybe it's fear or maybe they're an introvert or you know there are so many things uh, you know the armor that people put on mm. um, to kind of appear as you know confident as competent as they can and I think um, nobody genuinely wants to isolate themselves I think it comes with something um, innate that I think is very much something that I always want to figure out what what it is and mm. how we can make it better and also you know what is it that stops them from kind of wanting to share and collaborate. And, and a lot of the time is fear. A lot of the time is that, right. that innate sense of imposter syndrome, which right. is so rife and I have it and everybody I know has it. And I think the more we talk about it, the the less um, power we give it. Um, but definitely that's something that I've been um, working with lots of designers in the past. Um, let's rewind just yes. a little bit. Your time at Kofa. I'm, I'm very happy that you got to spend time at Kofa mm. in Paddington. Mm. You know, it, it was down for six years or something like that. And there's a whole cohort, cohort of people, designs we've had on the show. Like I went to Kofa in Kensington and I'm like, oh, no. It's a different world. Oh, no. Um, so I just want to talk a little bit about the, the gap between those two things that we've mm-hmm. just spoken about, which is, um, you know, we were joking a little bit before we started recording about um, sort of slinging pixels. And I love your your history, which is like, every kind of whatever designer within the digital field. So it's like interactive designer. I don't know if I saw a digital designer, mm-hmm. but I definitely saw a visual designer. Digital mm-hmm. designer was in there as mm-hmm. well. I think... Um, graphic designer. Graphic designer. Yeah, yep. did print for a long time. Yep. So so you've had all the titles. I did. Um, can you give us a snapshot of kind of the time between those things? Obviously, a lot happened. Yeah. Um, you had at least one child between yes, those times. Yes, I, I now have three. <laughs> now I have three. Um, it's interesting. We had an offsite like last year, and we had to draw out these timelines and this tiny piece of paper with all these little um, grids, and and I, I mapped out all the key work things that have happened to me, right. and then I mapped out toward along the same line all the key life things, and they were always super, super, super close together, um, which you know don't do things in halves. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, starting off at the British Council as a graphic designer, and then I pivoted ever so slightly and I think that's what I've done looking back on all of the um, kind of changes between all the different titles is a slight pivot it's never like a giant leap over here it's always like okay well I'm good at this and I'm enjoying this how can I do 
this slightly better or slightly more or can I add just another small thing towards it and I think kind of doubling down and building on top of each one of those specialties has helped me kind of evolve and and feel confident in all of those areas to a degree. Um, so when I started as the graphic designer at the British Council, I also, uh, I did that for probably two years. And at the time they had a CMS, like the old, you know, content management system. And um, it was called Obtree. I will remember this forever. <laughs> I'd see it in my mind. And what was happening was the office that I was working in was actually servicing 13 countries in East Asia, all trying to build websites using the CMS. And it was, you know, you know, um, middle managers in um, offices in Thailand and Korea and all those places trying to create these templates using this CMS. And I knew how to use it. And I also started to go, oh, it's interesting. They don't they don't really understand um, the British Council brand. And the brand was coming from the UK, from Manchester, which is where the head office was. And so there was this lack of translation between what the aesthetic of the East Asian kind of culture was and the way the graphic were displayed there it was quite busy and loud and the text was very differently formatted in terms of hierarchy of content mm. compared to the white space and the kind of um, sparseness of these templates that were coming down from the UK and so I took this as an opportunity to kind of figure out what was acceptable from the brand bigger perspective and what would actually appeal to the um, audiences that these managers right. were trying to build for mm. and so it's this constant translation and that in that respect it was between you know the business and the execution uh, for me and so I didn't necessarily just go away from graphic design but I thought oh okay I could do training so I could understand a CMS and what does a CMS do and so I you know that core of what a CMS is is still something I talk about like today because you know CMSs are around and it's something that helps me um, to articulate how content can grow so after that like we I sort of decided that I, I became kind of really responsible for the brand for East Asia which was quite crazy in three years it was like oh we'll just do the graphics monkey thing and then you're like oh well you've evolved a brand and you should really own that and keep driving that forward and so I thought that was a really kind of neat way to kind of grow on top of the things that I've already been doing. Mm. And after that, I um, was really fascinated with um, agencies and advertising agencies and large agencies. And I felt like I wanted to understand that process and I wanted to understand how they worked. And so I w tried really, really hard and interviewed a lot and um, finally got into uh, Wonderman Winer. They're still here mm -hmm. um, in Clarence Street and huge agency. And I was just like a speck, like a, like a dot <laughs> amongst millions of other dots, all creating like, you know, flash banners. We all remember those for, for yep. the likes of Westpac. Sure. Um, Is that how you felt at the time? Yes. Yeah. Um, so you it, went from Coda Monkey to Spec. And look, Spec, but with um, Spec that got into the room, right? And I okay. think um, I think what I learned from that process um, was just the team, the camaraderie and pitching. I love the idea of pitching. And mm. I think as designers, we are always selling. And whether you want to it's not meant to be in a dirty way that you're trying to get people uh -huh. to do stuff, but it's very much you're pitching ideas to your peers, to your customers, to your boss, to the managers, to the other teams around you, to, mm. to your developers. You're constantly pitching these ideas and that's something that I've really honed in that skill um, to be able to pitch. Um, whether you're pitching a Westpac flash banner that will be up for you know 30 seconds um, or you're doing a huge campaign. And so being in that space, again, I, I really I really loved it. Um, it was very intense and I 
felt very much out of my league all the time because I didn't have like um, advertising background. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to do award school. Uh, so I applied to do award school and I got into award school. But in the middle of award school, I was also getting married. So I had my wedding like directly <laughs> in the middle of the 16 week intensive course. Uh, and for those out, for those that have not done sure. it, I have not for those, but the, yeah. for those who have not done it is it is meant to be very intense. It's it's it very was. time consuming. It's sort of it's it's set up to be a laser focus. You know, yeah. you drop out because it's too hard for people. So trying to do a- another big life event at the same yes, time was silly. But yes, I didn't know I was going to get into award school <laughs> when I put the wedding day a year out. So. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, resilience and perseverance. So I did finish award school and I really enjoyed it. Um, It it was where I learned the simplicity of a single idea on a page and how do you distill that thought and how do you pitch that thought to just complete strangers because we'd have to go to all these different agencies every night to be like, here is my shitty drawing. And they're like, this sucks. And then you just, <laughs> you're, you know, you're the crushing dreams. Um, was there a partic- was, is there a particular um, bit of feedback or agency that it was like I it was just such a foreign environment I mean I, I even if I if though I worked in one single agency I was the spec in this very kind of cocoon team and like so many layers down here you, there was nowhere to hide and you know right. you would come in with the other three people in your group and you'd all pin up your things and it was you know 7 p.m on a Wednesday and you know these art directors have been at it like all day and mm. so there's no filters everybody's tired you sort of come in and it it's it, it was kind of Baptism of fire, mm. I, I won't forget it. I don't regret it either because I also feel like uh, thinking back to those times, how critical feedback is and how critical it is to hone in your ability to give great feedback. I've never actually thought of the correlation between the fact that these things are run in the evening and they're they're run by seniors and creative directors um, who are really tired really <laughs> and probably tired. don't want to be there. They don't. And we're these young kind of, you know, um, bright-eyed and terrified um, wannabe creatives. And I think, you know, it, it was it was what it was and I, and mm. I really loved it. Um, so that was my kind of time to into, in towards that space. I moved into... Kept kind of really loved the agency agency thing, but as you know, you said earlier, like I hated the feeling of the spec or cog. You know, you were just another thing that you passed on to the next person next to you. So I went to a smaller agency, and um, that was really fun. I, I really enjoyed the autonomy, and I, I I got to work on a brand, and I was the uh, only woman in that agency. And of course, I got to work on the Clinique brand, which is a makeup um, brand. Right. Um, so, which made perfect sense. Uh, but I, I loved it. I, mm. I thought that was really great. And we, we did a big launch for Clinique TV at the time. And, and that was really fun. And I kind of got that taste of, oh, wow, okay. So, you know, taking in briefs and really translating what that client thinks they want into what they really want and that magic that can happen when they kind of feel you getting them and giving them more than they anticipated. And I think that really kind of hooked me into that storytelling piece. Was this the first time that you got to work a bit closer with the client? Mm -hmm. Um, Because you're a woman and it was a woman brand, do you think that you were involved I, th- I do. I mean, I, yeah. I think, it, I mean, it made sense. I feel like it was one of those things where I would have been really awkward if they just kept it the way it was and, and didn't. Um, yeah, that, that would have been awkward if they didn't get you involved. I'd be like, well, wouldn't it make more sense if it was me instead of Dave? Yeah. Um, Dave was thrilled that I came along. So, um, yeah, so it, that was that was good. But then it was also the financial uh, uh, global crisis. Crisis. And so every, all okay. the layoffs. Yeah 
all the fun yeah. layoffs. Mm. Um, Advertising like, got hit very hard by that. Really hard. Yeah. It was tough, tough going. Mm. And so then I freelanced a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I really rate freelancing. I rate when I see other designers having freelancers on their resumes because when you're a freelancer, mm. the rigor with which you have to be the financial person, the time person, the creative, you have to have so many hats and actually then being mm. able to deliver constantly, like th- th- that is like no other way of you can't kind of get that when you're in an agency or in a company where you're kind of comforted by your managers mm. and all these layers and you're cocooned in this thing. It's just you doing freelance. Um, and I did that for a long time. It's another version of baptism by fire, I think, but you, you don't eat if you if you don't perform. That's right. That's exactly what it is. And, mm. and, uh, and I figured out how to cost my work, how to time my work. Mm. You know, I, I fucked up a lot because mm. I would say it would be this, but it wouldn't and it would be longer. Of course, it takes longer. And then you feel... Always sort of, takes longer, doesn't always it? Always takes longer. Yeah. You feel bad for charging them more. And then you, you question whether you're worth the money. You know, there mm-hmm. was a, there's a lot. And I think when, when successful freelancers are amazing. So I think anybody who's ever had that stint I always kind of rate them if they have other things they're missing in their in their CV or in portfolio I always look at that pro- uh, freelancing gig as like oh wow okay you, you can do lots of things right even mm. if there isn't the specific skill set that I'm looking for hmm. that's missing so so I just want to talk a little bit more about a day in the life yes like what like what are design like what is design systems like what what is perhaps a case study or an example that you can share share with me and the audience um, to get a bit of an idea because I will I will say from personal experience I know lots of people kind of in in service design roles and everything like that mm. and every time they tell me about what they did that day it always seems to be something different mm-hmm. so perhaps you can enlighten us a little bit about I know there's not a typical day in the life I know this much but you know perhaps there is a yeah story time I'll talk a bit about probably a day in the life in the last year. Great. Where I was the design manager running a team of designers, super talented designers across Sydney and the US. Mm-hmm. And we, the designers, um, all work very closely with a whole team of engineers. And um, so it's about seven designers, uh, nine, 12 engineers, including contractors, um, and myself and an engineering manager. And so it's, and content, of course, can't forget content, and content design. And so all of us together are trying to service, and this is a term that I've really been, um, it's, I'm gonna be talking about this um, in the at the conference, around servicing the entire design org and the entire front end team mm. that is creating all of the Atlassian products. And so what a day in the life of that. I gave you the context of, of all the things that are kind of going on. Um, it, it, I'm going to talk about a very specific day, which is a Tuesday. <laughs> I know. Great. Yes. Uh, Tuesday. Every, it's every second Tuesday. Uh, but this specific Tuesday, we start off with something called design sparring. Um, design sparring is basically design critique. Um, mm-hmm. It's a play that we run. Atlassian has a playbook, um, which captures a lot of these kind of agile practices type plays. And sparring is one of the plays that's captured there. Huh. And the way it is, it, the way it runs is basically this design sparring is to bring together all of the different teams that are working um, on t- for the front end. So the Jira team, the Confluence team, uh, Trello, all of these designers, mm. all for designers specifically, anybody's welcome, but it's all designers that come and it's all remote. So everybody dials into Zoom. You've got the, you know, 
the Brady Bunch view. Yeah, um, <laughs> the Brady Bunch view. Great. And the you get a, a, a call sheet of like, I want to. I need ten minutes. I'm going to talk about this. Fifteen minutes. I'm going to talk about that. And somebody's always facilitating. Mm-hmm. Um, for a long time, I facilitate facilitated that meeting as the as a designer on the, on the system. And then as the manager, I, I asked one of the other designers in the team to drive it because it's really meant to be. It's not about managers in the room kind of approving or disapproving things. It's much more about um, designers getting in the weeds talking about the minutiae of, you know, round avatars versus square avatars. Like it's a, it's really sweating of the details um, right. of the UI. And so how can that UI make sure that all these different teams are trying to create the same things and they're making decisions because design systems are nothing if they're not decisions, right? Mm. And I think it's like how many decisions can you make? How can you document them? And how can you get everybody to agree that it's round instead of square? So is it – because sparring almost like – reminds me of fighting like it seems yes. to be where it's from so it's a little bit kind of like this is what we think it really is really really important so i'm i'm uh the content person um content strategist content creator designer content designer and you know there's a breaking point over here um and it needs to be very very clear mm-hmm. it needs to be you know ideally black on white but we'll also settle with this accessibility option for text and font choices or something and someone else you mm-hmm. know it wants to talk about branding and wants it to be different to mm-hmm. competition and all that sort of stuff is is it sort of everyone gets in their corner and they they kind of duke it out is there is there a result so I think it's it does it does seem like it's going to be this way, but mm. people present. Um, so a, a single person can say, "I need fifteen minutes," and, th- and they take us through a flow. They they always talk about the context of the work. When is it shipping? Like, is it just about to ship? So the feedback we can give is very limited. Mm. If it's like, "Oh, this is really early," we always always say, "Show things early and often instead of late," and it's done and right. to to get a tick. So it's never about approval. It's never like a gateway that we're getting people to sort of pass and we'll deem it yes. You you can uh, keep going. Mm. It's very much a conversation and that collab- that messy word of collaboration. And so when somebody presents their work, they say, I would like this type of feedback or I don't want you to think about the copy because I haven't had the content design right. through it. Like I need the flow to be reviewed or I need um, the, the the nuance of the UI. So they kind of really narrow down the kind of feedback they're going to get so they're going to get the most value. And the entire uh, virtual room is all trying to s- help um, answer the questions that they have and mm. so it's very kind of the opposite of combative it's mm. actually quite collaborative and and inclusive and so the person needs to walk away feeling empowered um, to take this feedback or not to take that feedback so right. the feedback isn't directive like you must do these things um, and it's all peer-to-peer so all the everybody in the room are designers or content or research who are trying to help this person unblock or move forward um, and give them more ideas or just ask questions. And that's mm. that's kind of always my go-to is ask all the questions. What do you think the biggest challenge is um, working with a, a large spread out remote team other than having to manage a conference call with multiple people and telling everyone to That's make sure they easy. put it on mute. <laughs> we, we use, we use Zoom. Right. Um, and, I, and I write this little list of instructions that everybody always follows, which okay. is really great. Um, the thing that I feel is the most challenging with um, having a remote team is the lack of the, the nuance that people miss uh, by running into each other at the kitchen or, you know, bumping mm. into each other, you know, in the lift or the just the or the conversations that happen just as you end the Zoom call and you're all leaving the room and you're packing up your laptop. Like yep. it's these micro interactions that 
are the fabric of kind of how teams can glue together and kind of keep working. And I think when you are remote and especially if you are the only person who is distributed um, rather than having a whole remote team, which is kind of a very different thing, um, that can be really challenging for that person. And so we mitigate that with travel. Um, mm. Lots of travel and lots of times in the week, which is kind of takes me to the original question, which I know we've segued, but um, around what my That's week what we looks do. like. We do. <laughs> uh, we have a follow-up um, meeting, which is just a 30-minute chat. It's about nothing. It's usually just people talking about the weekend. And it's always on a Tuesday because it's Monday afternoon in the US. And so our Tuesday morning. Mm. Um, and so we, it's, it's very much designers um, talking about a childhood memory or a favorite color or we have like a trello board with all of these ideas that we can like pick and choose from and like we go around the room and it's like what's your you know worst injury you've ever had you know just things that just it's fake building rapport but it's amazing if you do it for a couple of weeks or months then there's a point where you're like we don't need to do this anymore we're pretty right. good right um it's not a forever like a set and forget kind of status meeting hmm. um so that's another thing that we do um that we would have done on, on a day um where we would try to build rapport uh, with remote teams. Do you have an injury that you would like to share? I do not. You don't? Okay. <laughs> so no. I'd check, just in case you wanted to get There was a story. No, there was no story. There's <laughs> lots of interesting stories that you, you learn a lot about people. Um, something else that we do a lot as well, in the, and especially we would do in a typical day, was we, as design system, we go out to teams. We are always hovering by a wall walk or we are dialing into meetings where things are being read out or there's a planning meeting um, for, you know, FY21 and we're trying to understand like what are the what are the asks from other teams of us. And so we're sort of big on reaching and communicating and having lots of chats and coffees. It's 80% like communication, 20% mm. actual like design system effort because we have to be so careful about the things that we choose to build and put into the design system and make sure that they're actually going to be serving a purpose. Mm. Um, so to, to figure that out and be really sure, we have to have lots of conversations. I have a quote um, oh, from you that I really liked. From me? Yes, from <laughs> yeah, no, just a random quote. Quote me to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is an Alex original. Um, so talking about being an advocate for design systems, so um, they give designers and engineers more time to focus on solving customer-specific problems instead of focusing on repeatable elements such as buttons. Can you explain what you mean? I yeah. I really enjoy that. So I, I, I say this a lot where I say design systems solve common problems. They're not solving simple problems because making buttons can be very difficult because there are so many uh, different needs that a button has to do, especially when it's having to be put into 13 different products, which is where mm. our design system is scaled right now across two business um, offerings, which is our cloud and server. So it's huge in terms of the pressure that button has to be under mm. and the rigor with which it has to be created in code, um, you know, polished, sweated on um, in design and also documented within an inch of its life. So making sure that every single kind of permutation of that button, the do's, the don'ts, the caveats of where it should go, where it shouldn't go, should it be next to links, what the difference between buttons and links are, you know, what's the accessibility concern around that, you know, how can we have mm. theming built into those buttons because we have like a primary CTA on the, in the product and potentially, you know, if products start to think about theming. And so there's all of these mm. 
nuances is like an onion, this button. It's it's sort of it's just an innocuous button. But imagine how many buttons there are in the product and how many, you know, we have over a thousand um, front end engineers working on the products. And if each one of those was creating new buttons every single day, how costly that would be and how inefficient that would be. So This reminds me of the British consulate all over again. <laughs> See, this is this pattern. is amazing. It's you did system. that so seamlessly. <laughs> Very impressive. So when when the design design systems takes away all of the common UI elements, mm. we, we 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 there is no innovation in the design system. I know this is like a real like spicy thing to say. Mm. If we're innovating inside the design system, that's very problematic. That, that is the wrong place to innovate. Right. Innovation should be in the product. Mm. Um, we we should be worried about drop downs and forms, and we do not need to make them special. We need to make right. them work really well. We need to make them usable. We need them to make sure that they're fast and um, documented really well. So any any developer, whether they're a vendor um, outside at using our products or building on top of them or in, in a developer inside can just you know plug and play and self-service themselves with the documentation like mm. that's the goal it's very unsexy to be building something so robust and I guess uncreative but also incredibly satisfying when it just works because that's that's the magic like when it just works and nobody mm. even knows it exists right I love it you have a new team is are these is this team anything to do with moving to San Francisco? Yes. Right. Yes. New team. What did I say? My leaving blog. Um, new year, new team, new country. Wow. That's three. You normally I, do two. Now you're doing three. I know. Very impressive. So you're up, uprooting the family? I am. Off you go? I am. Wow. We are all going. Great. Fantastic. How exciting. Yes. That's super cool. Exactly a month from today. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I'm really glad we could talk to Squeeze you before, it before, before you left. What is that like having it having a new team um, and and moving over there? Like what 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 is occupying your brain? I'm sure there's a lot, but what is what are you thinking about? It's really interesting. I, I feel very privileged because I have the excitement of something new and um, the ability to have fresh eyes, but without any of the burden of try, trying to figure out how a company works. Right. So when you go to a new company, you have to figure out the thing and you have to figure out the politics and the, the company and the people and who do you know and the who's who in the zoo. I have that. I, mm. I've, I'm so, it's sort of like really satisfying to just know that. And I'm, there's of course new people in over in the US that I'm gonna have to meet, but I genuinely have like 90% of the, the way of the workings of the company. Mm-hmm. And I can just focus on the product and I can just focus on the people that I'm gonna be um, managing and, what are their needs and what's their biggest problems and what are the th- what is what would what could they change if they had a magic wand you know so for mm. me to kind of really being kind of disincumbent from like trying to figure out a company and the thing at the same time is is actually really exciting uh definitely um looking forward to the challenge um and a very different mindset of a product to the platform space where i've just spent five years what from from the outside looking in, like maybe for us designers who don't have much experience, what is the what is the big difference between the two of those being much more involved in the product than the system? So the system, the design system, is, is part of uh, a, an organizational structure called platform, and the the role of the platform is like the chassis of a car. I know I'm doing a car metaphor, I know, but still, it kind of gives you the sense of like they're always repeatable and it's the same, and it's to enable scale, is to enable to move faster, it's to enable, you know, um, a great example of a a piece of platform is the editor component. So 
rather than each product creating a an editor component of themselves, like Jira comments versus Trello versus mm. Confluence, we have a single editor component that is integrated into all these products. And so that is not three teams building three different things. It's a single team maintaining a single platform piece. Right. Same as the design system. This works the same with buttons. We all maintain the buttons. Everybody consumes the buttons. Not every single product creates new ones. When you're in a product... You are, you're, you know, this is going to sound creepy. You're touching the customers. Um, <laughs> you are directly worrying about what problem or challenges those customers are having. How are they working? You know, Atlassian is all about teams and collaboration and mm. unleashing the potential of every team is our um, company mission. And for us is to, in a product sense, you are so close to that and trying to make sure that you're building the right things for the right reasons. You have the right kind of roadmap. Um, you're prioritizing in the right way. Is the team growing in the right way? So they're very different concerns when you're trying to go forward mm. instead of kind of make sure that the foundations are all stable. So it's a different mindset. There's so much I want to talk to you about. I'm going to ask you a very general question because this could have been a chapter in and of itself, which is about community mm -hmm. and the value of community. Because Big fan. We could have talked about this for just 55 mm -hmm. minutes. But uh, Code Loves Design Conference yes. um, and Design System Meetup. Are you leaving them when you go to San Fran? Because so a meetup's a very local thing, is it not? Yes. And also... I'm going to be taking it with that with me. Cool. Um, so I'm going to be taking the design system meetup with me to the US. I am such an avid, like passionate person around the design system space. And I believe a lot of that passion comes from the community. And I started the design system meetup in Sydney. It's on every second Tuesday or every second month. It's designsystemmeetup.com. And um, with two other friends, they're now my friends, uh, <laughs> with Alex um, Leon and um, Dominic Wolkowski. They're from Thinkmill and Encerada. And so the three of us have come together to really just provide a platform like what design systems really do mm. we just provided a platform and people come and they, they genuinely come for the for the connections that they make with other with other companies who are also creating design systems and mm. they all have the same problems and i think it's such an interesting space where the community is so open about like this is fucked um, right yeah <laughs> like it's always it's, it's always hard no one has it right which is so mm. amazing and it's so refreshing to know that you know atlassian is sometimes seen as like the shining light on the hill for a lot of things and design systems is one of them but underneath the hood it, we have the exact same scaling challenges that every single company um, who's trying to scale themselves and a design system and a design org has so mm -hmm. i think having those communities where we're being really open and um, forthright about kind of the, the the ins and outs of creating those systems and the challenges we have um, has been a really exciting part of my design system journey. And I guess you can tap into the communities that are already in the US as well, which would be quite exciting to Absolutely. See, see what the culture's like there, see what people are talking about all the time. Meet yes. some new friends. Yes, absolutely. Really excited about that. Um, yes, I, I'm going to be speaking at the Clarity Conference in September, which is the Design System Conference. Oh, great. Um, so you land, talk. Fantastic. In September. So <laughs> I've got a little bit of time. Bit of time. Yeah. That's a fantastic segue into actually how we met and how we've been lucky to have you on the podcast, which is um, the No BS Conference, which is next week, depending on when you're listening to this. Um, it may be in the past. Uh, it may be in the future. It's a fantastic conference and it's a great idea, I think. Um, I, I know that you have been to many conferences and, and things like that. I know that I have as well. But the idea of like this no bullshit version, mm. um, which has a lot of echoes with what we've been talking about, I think, which is no one's really got it all figured out. And um, I guess sharing 
looking underneath the hood are all themes and quotes from today's conversation. And you are speaking on stage there. I am speaking. Can we get a bit, you know, if we haven't already, can we get a bit of an insight into, like, where does your mind go when someone asks you to speak at a conference like this? Um, Can you, can you do a talk that's all about the, the no BS approach? I can. I was very excited about this conference. I I don't say yes to all the, the speaking opportunities um, that I have. Uh, time constraints, three small kids, big team, all the things. Um, I've got to be very mindful of the things that I say yes and no to. But I felt the no BS really resonated with me. I'm incredibly forthright. I knew that I could swear. So that, that that's going to be a plus. Um, one of the reasons I joined Atlassian was its values. And Atlassian has five values and it's not those companies that just say, oh, we have values. Every company has values. We have values and we use them. There's like emojis for each value. Like we use them right. in our reviews of each other and annual like reviews uh, with our managers. Like they're in conversation. And one of the uh, values is open company, no bullshit. And so when I jo- joined on the first day, you get to like hold up your favorite value and have a little photo taken with me. And that'll be in my talk. What's the uh, emoji? Spoiler. What's the emoji? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a ball with like a cross out, like open company, no bullshit. Cool. I like it. And it's very me. And, and I call a spade a spade, can sometimes um, maybe rub up people slightly the wrong way. Never the intention, always kind of come with the best of intentions. Uh, but it's my zealousness and the passion uh, for the subject matter that I've developed. And the reason why I didn't end up leaving Atlassian and I just wanted to pivot into a different um area rather than saying, okay, I'm done. I, I really love the company. And I think it's such an honor to be asked to, to speak at a conference like No BS because it's really a way to represent the authenticity and the, what Atlassian is all about. And um, I'm pumped. It's exciting. Well, that takes us to time. Amazingly. It goes fast, doesn't it? Thank you so much. How can people, like, where's the best place to, to send people online if, they've, if they've just been listening and they would like some more where are, where are you mostly found? I'm mostly found on Twitter. Uh, Twitter. My uh, handle is Skoogs, S-K-O-U-G-S, mm-hmm. um, as my last name is very long. And I have it's taken me 37 years to come to terms with it. And now I've embraced it. Um, so um, at Skoogs is my Twitter handle. Um, tweet me. My DMs are open. I talk a lot about design systems. I will continue to talk a lot about design systems, even though I'm not um, necessarily running that amazing team and you will be hearing lots of things around management and um, all the things that would keep me up at night. So yeah, follow. Fantastic. And um, we'll leave some discount codes at at the bottom in the show notes um, to the No BS event as well. Check it out. And thank you, Jason, for getting us in touch. He said this to say hello. So I haven't <laughs> met him yet. I'm excited yeah. to meet him in Melbourne. He said hi, and I'm sure he'll say <laughs> hi there. He's very excited for the event. And thank you so much. It's been wonderful chatting with you. It was awesome. Thanks. Cheers.